0: Mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com slash NFL. Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle. Joined today for another preview show with friend in life, the man himself, John Paulson. And Paulson, already a very busy week with so many injuries taking place.
1: It feels like enough has happened this season to justify like a week six, week seven point in the season, doesn't it?
0: Enough has happened and yet not enough has happened. I still have. So many questions over some offenses and defenses that we'll get to today. We know how last week went as well, where we have to discuss every game. We want to put everyone in the best position possible before they make their lineups locked in on Thursday afternoon. So let's get into it. And remember, the rankings and everything that we hint at, that we show you behind the scenes today, can all be viewed. Paulson's projections that we are constantly updating around the clock arguing in Slack about who will do better or worse, Uh, not to mention the waiver wire column and everything else we're offering throughout the year, you can get for 25% off with the promo code YouTube. That's not a monthly cost. I would make it monthly, personally. But it's 25% off for the entire year. Promo code YouTube for everyone listening and watching at home. And we begin, Paulson, with Thursday Night Football, the Giants and the 49ers being 10.5-point favorites. The big news, of course, no Saquon Barkley in this one. We reportedly expect to miss the next two to three games. But how do you see this Giants offense faring and an impossible matchup without Barkley?
1: I mean, not great. Uh games on the road against San Francisco. I'm sure the 49ers will be a popular, popular uh survivor pool pick this week without without Barkley in the lineup for the Giants. Um I think we'll probably see uh, you know. The, the 49ers jump out in this one, Daniel Jones probably will have more pass attempts than usual, uh, given the the running game struggles that they're likely to have. Uh, I don't know how you feel about this backfield, Matt Brita, uh, Gary Brightwell. I know you mentioned, uh, Eric Gray, I believe, uh, as a possibility as well, probably going to be, uh, some kind of committee in that week 18 game last year, it was Brightwell as the lead back in terms of rushing, but Breda played a lot. And I think, uh, he was involved in the passing game uh so it's it's a really good defense i don't i think the giants are probably going to struggle and uh maybe the the, the 49ers kind of cruising this one don't have to use mccaffrey and the passing game as much as usual
0: And we've already seen the 49ers stuff opposing running backs as they were doing last year. Kyron Williams, the RB2 in Week 2, yes, but he did so because of 95% of the Rams' backfield touches. That's how you get there, even if you are inefficient. and just keep hammering those touches. For me, Eric Gray is more about what do you get based on who else your league mates are putting their fab on. That's why you just skip past Matt Breida because – If you win Matt Breida, what did you actually win on your roster? That's the point. So you just skip Matt Breida and you go to the next guy who can perhaps be the option long-term since we already know who Matt Breida is and what he offers in this offense. And it's obviously not enough. So I instead go to the rookie, Eric Gray, only a 65th percentile athlete, as you mentioned. But two drops on 102 targets the last two years in college, and in 2022, still recorded the 10th most explosive runs of 10-plus yards of any running back in the FBS. So at least we think we have a little juice there. More importantly, I think there are two sneaky plays here tonight. One is Darius Slayton because, like a lot of offenses, splits are skewed given the game scripts the Giants have been on. Uh, unfriendly game scripts, including trailing by three scores in the first half to Arizona of all teams. But if you only count the first two quarters of week one and then all of last week, Slayton has run a route on 79% of Daniel Jones' dropbacks, which is third on the team behind only Saquon Barkley and Darren Waller to this point. He's the wide receiver one for this offense. And if we think they're now going to pivot, because I think that's how NFL offenses work. You don't plug in Matt Breida and say, you are the new Saquon Barkley you now change up the game plan altogether because you don't have Saquon Barkley. So New York's 52% pass play rate from neutral game script, 28th, I would just imagine it increases, and it now becomes a Daniel Jones-centric offense. So I think Slayton is the big winner here.
1: Yeah, Slayton, maybe Hodgins, maybe Waller. I think the pass attempts do increase, and Daniel Jones does run the ball quite a bit. I just would like to note that uh, Brightwell had – 11 carries in that game week 18 last year Matt Breda had four Uh, Matt Breda had eight targets seven catches for 12 yards (laughs) and uh, uh, Gary Brightwell had uh, three targets uh, for one catch so I you know I think all three will probably be uh, in the mix and Jordan Ronan Ronan of uh, the beat writer for the Giants uh, said that Matt Breda would be the lead back but I'm not so sure that he'll be getting the most carries I and mean, it's, there's a good chance that it's bright. Well,
0: where do you come in on the recent report for Elijah Mitchell getting more touches moving forward? Because we saw in week two, Christian McCaffrey's touch share that was already 83% in week one increased, To 100%. Literally every backfield touch for the Niners. Kyle Shanahan then came out and said that he had basically been irresponsible with McCaffrey's touches to start the year. And I'm personally in a situation where I have Mitchell on my bench and I have questions. Like Dalvin Cook, Brees Hall even, Kenneth Gainwell, Tank Bigsby. I can't start these guys in my opinion. Thus... I'm just going to lean into that report and play Elijah Mitchell as an RB2 in those kind of bare teams because I think it's going to be a game script dependent enough situation and with Kyle Shanahan backing Mitchell that he does get more run in this game.
1: Uh, You know, the names you listed are probably fair. Uh, I think I I would start Brees Hall, you know, just – given what he did in week one and, you know, bad matchup last week, uh, you know, kind of ramping up his expectation. Certainly, heading, you know, this summer we were a little worried about McCaffrey's touch splits when Elijah Mitchell was healthy, and then that has not come to fruition at all. Uh, this is a game, though, on a short week with the Giants and a game that the 49ers should win fairly handily that this is a great spot for Elijah Mitchell to get 10-plus carries eventually. It may not happen in the first or second quarter, but I would think second half would be a lot of Elijah Mitchell.
0: Moving on to Sunday Colts at the Ravens being eight point favorites and lots of questions here, including the hurricane that is supposedly coming down and could wreck some of these East coast games. But for now let's ignore the weather and discuss Gus Edwards because justice Hill injured and out for this game. The team promoted and signed Kenyon Drake and Melvin Gordon to their backfield. Where do you have Gus Edwards ranked in week three?
1: You know, I, i just bumped him up this morning, actually. Uh, you know, with that Justice Hill uh, issue, Gus did fairly well last week, had the touchdown. I have him at RB 27. Uh, the Colts were so-so against the run last year. Um, I think you. I mean, Melvin Gordon and Kenyon Drake, uh will probably be in the mix as well. They don't seem to like to use Edwards as a receiver much. So his upside's kind of capped as a, you know, a 12 to 15 carry type guy, but he can, he could get there with, you know, 70, 80 yards rushing and a touchdown this week.
0: And in Edwards defense, they don't use any of their running backs. Anyway, they're now, they're true. now 31st in backfield target rate as expected. We do. Lamar Jackson will play like Lamar Jackson all along. Also, It's obvious to start Zay Flowers, but I just want to hammer it home because we are seeing the Colts become one of the defenses we target for wide receivers every single week now. Four different receivers. We've only played two games, Paul, since. And four different receivers have scored a touchdown and reached 16 PPR points against the Colts so far this year. And they're a defense we can set our watch to comfortably because they've now played zone defense in 75% of their defensive snaps in both games. And Zay Jones, that's what he's thrived against so far. Seven of seven, 48% of his targets against zone coverage for 15.7 yards per catch. So I think a nuclear game is coming. How do you see though, on the other side of the ball, the Colts shaking out from what we believe will be Gardner Minshew starting given that Anthony Richardson through Thursday has not practiced and is still in concussion protocol.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you're going to see Gardner Minshew as the starter. You probably see a heavier pass run split, uh, you know, without Richardson in there carrying the ball so much. So I think that bodes well for Michael Pittman. Uh, he had 10 targets, I believe in three quarters from, uh, Gardner Minshew. They were not very efficient targets, but Minshew is a decent, is one of the better, I mean, he's a decent quarterback. One of the better backup quarterbacks, uh, in the league. I think he's kind of a sneaky start in, uh, you know, two quarterback leagues. I have him ranked uh, QB 19. This is, you know, a game where the Ravens are always tough to run on. So I think we'll see a lot of Zach Moss, but I don't know how effective he'll be. They'll probably have to throw a little bit more than they want to. And I think really the primary beneficiary is going to be Michael Pittman.
0: Completely agree. We also have some other injury news. Moving on to our next game between the Broncos and the Dolphins. For starters, I will say, I think the Dolphins... Well, I think the Broncos are creating the perfect recipe for overs early in the season because we're seeing a potent offense. Denver's offense has scored a touchdown on 36% of their drives through two games, the fifth highest rate. And more importantly, Russell Wilson now, his last four starts under Nathaniel without Nathaniel Hackett, 21.9 fantasy points per game, unreal. Also, to create that perfect cocktail for overs and fantasy goodness, Denver's defense, 29th in pressure rate, despite blitzing at the 7th highest rate. Fresh off 35 points allowed to the Commanders as well, so we think it's just a perfect mix in this one. But on the other side of the ball is where we have questions because Jalen Waddle in the concussion protocol, still on Thursday, not practicing. We don't expect to have him here. Everyone knows to obviously play Tyreek Kill, but how do you see everything else? If anything else shaking out behind Tyreek in this game,
1: well, I, I you know read your uh, waiver wire watch, and uh, Bra- I think you favor Braxton Bar- Barrios over Rig- River Craycraft. Uh, those are a couple tough names to say uh, if you're not used to saying them uh, <laughs> in a row. Uh, but I do think um, you know Barrios has been the slot receiver. I think Craycraft's routes could increase more. Uh So they're both, I think, viable dart throw types. I have them ranked in, as wide receiver four5s, you know. So this is a game where there could be a lot of points scored and these guys could surprise. I mean, Tyree kills a smash. Uh, Durham Smythe got a little bit of a bump. I, I took Waddle out this morning just thinking that you know most people, most players that are concussed don't play the following week. so I'm just gonna, you know, try to do that pretty consistently until, you know, somebody's practicing or it looks like they're going to be ramped up earlier than than later. Because it seems like now with the new concussion protocols, they always miss at least one week. Uh, so that being said, I mean, I wouldn't have a lot of confidence in Berrios or Craycraft, but they are both viable flex wide receiver four or five type plays.
0: Berrios has doubled up Craycraft and routes run so far, which is but why tar- I'm higher.
1: Yeah, the targets are close, though. Like, the yeah. yardage and targets are close. So, I mean, Craycraft's been a little bit more uh, productive on his routes. But you're right. Uh, Barrios's routes has been have been significantly higher.
0: And a 48-and-a-half point total. Again, I think this game is all the makings for an over. That's why I like them. More importantly for the Dolphins, though, we also know where it goes in their backfield now. Savon Ahmed injured. And Devon A chain will be active, but Mostert Moster is still handled 77% of this team's backfield touches. He's the one they're hammering to. So you just keep on not questioning Mostert as a top 20 back and just keep on starting him, maybe even higher than that, honestly.
1: I, I actually have him at eight this week. Cool. Sure. It's, a weird, it's a weird week for running backs, obviously, but I have him at eight. He's a you say weird week. Guy.
0: Uh weird yeah,
1: season. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> 15 plus I would think 15 plus carries for him. Easy.
0: I'm still also high on Javante Williams. We saw his touch share encouragingly increase to 74% of the team's backfield touches in week two. The issue is that he is still obviously recovering. He's actually been targeted since the preseason on 42% of his routes run. Like, he's earning targets. But given that he's still clearly recovering from this Achilles injury, Javante Williams is averaging 3.7 yards per touch. It's not encouraging. But... If he keeps getting the usage and now he's in a high total game, I do still think it's somewhat of a sneaky spot for him as a low-end RB2. Yeah,
1: Miami was 20th in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to running backs last season. That was last season. Um, I haven't looked at their defensive knowledge seeker. It's a good report on our, uh, on our website, but let's just take a, take a quick look here. Uh, Miami yielding, oh.
0: They're getting, <laughs> they're
1: they're getting, getting nailed in the slot. Okay, well, they're—I mean, they're—they're they're giving up 135 and a half yards rushing to opposing backfields on average, and 28 yards receiving, 1.5 touchdowns. This is actually, a, you know, a real good spot for the Denver backs. Uh, Javante, or as you mentioned, Javante Williams's uh, usage has increased here, you know, week one to week two.
0: Do you have a preference, and where did you put them in your rankings between? jerry judy and Cortland sutton because judy wasn't limited in terms of routes run still second on the team behind sutton but a lot like terry McLaurin in week one we see that he's still working himself back into shape
1: yeah I, i'm lower on judy than the consensus of probably 10 spots he's also got a pretty bad matchup uh with uh cater kohu uh in the slot who's played well so far uh in terms of fancy points allowed per route run. Uh, so I'm just kind of waiting to see the Jerry Judy we saw last year before really ranking him as a player I, I trust in the lineup. So uh, as you mentioned, I mean, this Denver offense is better than expected. It's just not uh, – no players within the offense have been particularly consistent the first two weeks, other than Russell Wilson.
0: And Adam Troutman was a full-time tight end. You wouldn't know it from his egg-in-the-box score. He did run a route, though, on 85% of dropbacks. And I genuinely, if you're desperate, and of course you're desperate because tight end has been the hellhole that it always is. We're only through two weeks, and no tight end matters. Uh, The Dolphins have at least allowed a a league-high 15 targets to opposing tight ends. So Troutman is a sneaky spot in tight end premium leagues. For the Patriots at the Jets, it's pretty simple, Paulson, because on the Patriots' side of the ball, we are encouraged as expected with Ramondre Stevenson's usage. Fully healthy from that stomach bug he had in week one and splitting touches with Ezekiel Elliott. He then outcarried Zeke, which is supposed to be Zeke's primary role, 15-5, to five, and Stevenson also closed with 78% of the backfield touches. And we think that increases, especially maybe even a favorable game script. So Ramondre Stevenson, green light, all, all speed ahead. For the Jets, though, not only do we have Zach Wilson dragging everyone down, Uh, he's been under pressure at a league high rate of his dropbacks. And of course he's dead last to completion rate under pressure because he's Zach Wilson. We also know historically Bill Belichick has won these matchups. He's picked off Wilson seven times. His defenses have, um, and his last four starts since 2021. So what are your thoughts on how to continue handling this jets offense? Well,
1: I think Garrett Wilson. We know he's really talented. Uh, he had the eight targets last week. He only caught two, but it, you know, eighty-three yards and a touchdown. Caught the long touchdown pass. Uh, so he's actually in these two games where it's been pretty much all, you know, except for snort, four snaps with Aaron Rodgers. It's been all Zach Wilson. You know, he has one hundred and seventeen yards, seven catches, two touchdowns on thirteen targets. Uh, he's the only Jet that I really kind of want to play uh, I don't want to play Brees Hall yet uh, but I mean there's just nothing else going on like you know he's he's gone from you know if we would have Aaron Rodgers in there you know he'd be a low-end wide receiver one every week and now he's in that 20 to 30 range because of you know this inefficient so far, you know 7 to 13 he's caught so it's 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 a Zach Wilson problem but the good news is he's getting the vast majority of the targets and he's got the touchdowns so Uh, He can get there. He's just going to be a fingers crossed every week. Uh, Other than that, I don't really want to start any of these other players.
0: And it's not even about the targets for Garrett Wilson, because he's been the wide receiver 22 and 25 in these first two games with one touchdown. Uh, We need those targets to keep happening because he's catching so few of them since they're off target. And he's basically getting there only on that one touchdown per game. So that is my, still, still my concern with Wilson moving forward from Wilson. And then for Dalvin Cook, where do you have him ranked? Again, don't want to start him or Brees Hall. You mentioned about Brees Hall being ramped up. And yes, long term. I just don't know if it happens really in this game. And so that's what made me worried about either Jets running back. So how are you parsing between these two?
1: Well, I think part of the issue last week was, that, you know, Brees Hall wasn't effective. It was a really tough matchup. So I don't think that they were interested in giving him any more uh, touches than what he got against the Cowboys. I think that if he can get it going against uh, the Patriots, that they will start to feed him a little bit. So I, I just feel like they want to use Brees Hall more than Delvin Cook long-term. Uh, but if he is also breaks off a couple of runs like he did against the Bills, we saw what they – you know, would feed him. He had 10 carries in that game. So that's what I think they would like to do. But if the running game's not going, then they're not going to force it and have him running into a brick wall. Uh, I have him at 30, uh, just ahead of Samaj P. Ryan and Craig Reynolds. And then I have Dalvin Cook at 34 in that Jalen Warren, uh, Roshan Johnson area.
0: For the Texans at the Jaguars, with the Jaguars being two score favorites, Let's start with the running game because you can't get a better run out for Travis Etienne on Sunday. Uh, Jaguars being favorites, also increased his share of backfield touches to 88% in week two because they're pissed off at Tank Bigsby for not understanding how the NFL rules work. And now he gets this Houston defense that's allowed the eighth highest rate of explosive runs, 10-yard carries. So we think Etienne is just in a smash spot, Falson.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Zach Moss had 88 yards, 4.89 yards per carry against them last week. Um, the the Baltimore running backs weren't particularly good. They combined for 54 yards and a touchdown on 16 carries. Uh, week one, uh, if, you, if you throw in Justice Hill, it's worse. But if you're looking at Dobbins and Gus Edwards, uh, that's what you know, 16 for 54 and a touchdown. Uh, but I mean, the Texans are you know they struggle against the run. Zach Moss proved it last week, and EtN's been off to a really hot start, so he's. You know, with all this attrition at running back position, he's become one of the like guys you can really count on when I think this summer we weren't so sure that he'd be that that type of back.
0: Zay Jones also has a Thursday not practicing. So we know how it would work out if he doesn't play. Chris Kirk just goes to the boundary and that's their two wide sets with Calvin Ridley still dominating targets. On the other side of the ball, though, it is interesting because we're seeing Nico Collins break out. As a high-end wide receiver, too, arguably the rest of the way, 23 and percent target share, 13 and a half yard depth to target. So this mass volume of targets is also coming downfield. That's what we look for in fantasy football, and more importantly, this team has no choice but to wing it out. 44 and 47 pass attempts because they are just pounded with injuries, both in the trenches and in their defense. Derek Stingley, a first-round pick. Also injured his hamstring on Thursday at practice. So they just can't catch a break and continue losing the most important players and catalysts that make up that secondary. So we think again that Nico Collins and Tank Dell get there on volume.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, and I, I, I tweeted it out too like CJ Stroud, I think we identified as a uh, highly accurate player coming out of college. Uh, uh, Derek Klassen did some charting. I mentioned it before. And so it just made me kind of bullish on stroud long term and so what we what we've got here is this team that can't run uh damien pierce is not breaking tackles like he was last year uh his his tackle rates are down or breaking tackle rates are down uh his yards after contact are down and so they can't run the ball they're falling behind so as you mentioned lots of pass attempts and that means it's a good quarterback throwing a lot of targets uh, a lot of passes to Ah, uh, Nico Collins, Tank Dell, et cetera, and uh, I think both players are startable. I, I think Nico Collins certainly uh, is more startable. He's got 20 targets uh, in the first two games, a minimum of nine uh, in each game, so that's a nice floor from a usage standpoint. I think he's like a low-end QB, or I'm sorry, low-end wide receiver two at this point. Um, Stroud's still, you know, kind of dicey, but uh, you know, in this matchup, he might he might actually deliver fantasy-wise.
0: And when you keep getting 40 pass attempts and it's predictable because there is no other way, then yes, like you have to be thrown into two quarterback and super flex options. Uh, And that's kind of the issue with Damian Pierce right now is, yes, his share of backfield touches increased last week. But Singletary is still sprinkled in and they don't have any running lanes like there is no chance for Damian Pierce to be successful in this offense so I still have him personally as just an RB3 rest of season until we get something else
1: yeah I mean I think he's good uh and we like to bet we like to bet on players like that but the offensive line's so bad and until he you know and there's a chance that his like it it was bad last year too I mean but his his uh tackle breaking metrics were great yards after contact metrics were great Uh, He was overcoming it, and he's not overcoming it this year. And that's part of the part of the issue with his volume, his rushing totals right now.
0: More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action, and when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360 degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change. Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com nfl NFL. Picks is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, Picks is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their prize pick stat projection. It's that easy, and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. Prize picks even offers in-game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with all your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together, with more Devonta Smith receiving yards, or less Justin Fields rushing yards. Now... You can. Just go to prizepicks.com accurate and use the promo code accurate to match your first deposit up to $100. Price Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. Now you can score even more pizza with your pizza. It's easy. Just order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame an hour before and three hours after scheduled NFL kickoffs and become eligible for instant win prizes. Best of all, you pick the toppings you crave. I attended a live Scott Fishbowl draft over the summer and was convinced by a listener to try Little Caesar's stuffed pretzel crust pizza with cheese sauce. And no hyperbole, it changed my life forever. Either way, everyone wins with Little Caesar's convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup. You can even pay for your pizza on the Little Caesars app and have your friends grab it on their way over to your house. That's how you enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Titans at the Browns being three and a half point favorites and the question of the day of course is after Jerome Ford out touched Pierre Strong 18 to 2 off the bench and the team signed Kareem Hunt Who's expected to be active on Sunday, given that he knows the playbook already? Where do you have Jerome Ford in your rankings?
1: Yeah. So, this is a situation where it's a a volume play for him. It's a terrible matchup against the Titans. I mean, it's really bad. So, I have him as a low end uh, running back, too. I think you could count on him for, you know, 10 or 12 carries, but they might, if they're smart, they might just abandon the run and just wing it. Uh, against this really shaky Titans secondary uh, you know I'm I'm thinking Deshaun Watson goes over his yardage totals at the different various books uh, he's been you know he's been bad uh, last year has carried over he's fantasy wise he's you know running and got the rushing touchdown I think week one uh, he's you know he's doing okay from that standpoint but from a real world standpoint he's not delivering what we were expecting or what a lot of us were expecting I don't, I don't think I was expecting it but uh, just trying to get back to that Deshaun Watson of old, it has not happened. But this is a spot where I would expect them to go pass heavy, especially losing Chubb. Like This gives them a, a valid excuse not to pound you know, Chubb 20 times. Uh, you know, Use Ford here and there, throw the ball a lot, use him in the passing game. So I think for that reason, I have him below Najee Harris and Javante Williams this week as a, a running back too. I think long term, and I wonder what you think about this too, I, I, I think Ford is probably... Uh, the starter they, they mentioned that already but like even with Hunt in the mix Ford I think they favor Ford they, they chose Ford over Hunt this summer he's been the RB2 the entire time they have confidence in him we've we heard that uh, throughout the off season so I think they they continue with him as the starter and then Hunt is like the pure backup change of pace guy
0: as I explained to the waiver column and to everyone who was also worried in my waivers chat every Tuesday 5pm Eastern in the discord shameless plug We already saw them pick Jerome Ford over Kareem Hunt. And they had enough confidence in that to leave Kareem Hunt on the streets for two games until they had no choice but to sign him. Sometimes the math is that simple. So I do not worry about Kareem Hunt outside of him being a contingency option. He averaged eight and a half touches per game behind Nick Chubb last year. I think that's probably going to be his role in this spot. Either way, though, against the Titans, at least, short term, not a good matchup. Also for Jerome Ford, the runout is not great because we have a tough matchup against the Titans. We have the Colts that we explained have become a pass funnel. And then we have the 49ers after their bye. Not a great start for Ford's outlook. At the same time, though, like you said, and every touchback that we still consider a low end to fringe RB1 based on the offense and the opportunity he is in. More importantly, I also think it is like you, the litmus test for Deshaun Watson. No more excuses. This is literally it. Uh, you can say that it was heavy rain with Joe Burrow in week one. Neither ball, no, that neither quarterback could keep the ball in their hands. That's fine. You can say it was the Steelers' home opener on primetime, and they lost the heart and soul of their offense, Nick Chubb, in the first half. That's fine. But now, Titans defense allowing 300-yard passers in back-to-back games as a clear pass funnel because you can't run on them. This is it. And more importantly, the ball is only going two directions. Omari Cooper has a 25% target share and Elijah Moore has a 23% target share. So, we also know exactly where Deshaun Watson likes to throw. So, if that's it, a condensed target tree against a pass funnel defense, we know who is going to break out if this game goes over the total.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I might throw in David Njoku there as a guy, a peripheral guy who might, you know, at a really bad position, tough one to, to sort of. Gage. I mean, I think he's worthy of a, a dart throw this week, uh, given how many pass attempts that Watson should have. Uh, you know, he's, he's got, as you mentioned, he's only got seven targets compared to 17 for Cooper uh, 16 for more, but he is third on the team with seven targets. So at least there's that.
0: I'm in so many hell spots where I have David and Joku, Hunter Henry, Luke Musgrave, Durham Smythe. And I'm like, all of you are the same. Just go out there. Hey, as well. no, you
1: should you should be happy of Hunter Henry. He was one of your guys in the offseason. and he is. But he thought, like the but also. End.
0: But when we're talking about like playing the best matchup, because I know we're all still trying to do that. Like this week, obviously, Mac Jones is not throwing forty times again uh, right. against the Jets. They're not going to need to. But yeah, yeah I, uh, you're right. I still like Hunter Henry.
1: I'm going to still roll Henry out there. I think I don't know. That, it's, that's it, fair. It, he's he's like tight end two on the season. You might as well do
0: it. Well. Let's get to another tight end, because Falcons at the Lions could be hot. There are so many defensive injuries and enough questions on both sides of the ball where maybe we get some potency from both sides. Uh, For the Lions to lose Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who had that pick six 50-yarder against the Chiefs in week one, not to mention that they added all this cap space we talked about on last week's preview show, but they still have just one sack they're still the Lions struggling to create any amount of pressure and get there on defense. And if we think they're going to push as three-and-a-half-point favorites at home, then we even saw Desmond Ritter at least be spicy. Still not good at all on film. But for fantasy, for the game we're playing, 10 carries for 39 yards and a touchdown, um, also over 30 pass attempts, that's what we want. That's how we stream a guy in a good spot indoors. So let's start with the Falcons offense And Kyle Pitts, how do you have this passing game ranked?
1: Uh, You know, watching Ritter last week, he had one interception and then he had two other really bad throws that should have been uh, picked off. So from a real world standpoint, I don't know if he's the answer there for the Falcons, but he can, he does run. uh, He does throw enough. He has enough good passes and good, you know, accurate throws to move the ball. Uh, he did, he did well with Drake London last week. This is the lions. I was actually, you know, flipping over to see the over under and was surprised that it was, you know, 46 seems a little bit low to me, but
0: I think it may be tepid in Vegas because of a Monroe St. Brown's injury. I think we're still kind of waiting to make sure he's at full health around on 74% of dropbacks. And when he suffered that toe injury in the third quarter, just one catch for five yards after that.
1: Yeah, he did practice today in some fashion. So that was a good sign for him with the toe injury. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to tell anybody to start Desmond Ritter. I think the Bijan Robinson is absolutely startable uh, as an RB three this week. Uh, must is a must must start. He was excellent last week, just carving up my Packers uh, in the running game. Algier, I think, even is a kind of a sneaky start this week, given the matchup against Detroit. Um, I think as far as pass catchers, we don't have a ton of confidence in either L- London or Pitts. It's probably going to be like one or the other each week that actually delivers, and you know it's probably a coin flip as to which one it is, depending on which one Arthur Smith wants to favor that week. But London did look good last week. Pitts was kind of a zero zero. Uh, Pitts was a little bit better in week one. Uh, London was a zero in week one. Uh, so it's just sort of you know you put roll them out there. You you cross your fingers and you hope that in a game where the you know the Falcons could score three touchdowns, that one of these guys uh, gets one of them.
0: I will say forced to choose one I'm going back to Drake London not only because his four and a half percent target share in week one increased to 24.4 percent in week two but Geno Smith passed for 328 yards against this Lions defense last week and only 84 yards came from the slot and that's important because Kyle Pitts has run 50 percent of his routes from the slot Drake London has only run eight routes there all year he does not play from the slot at all so if we think the Lions' defense is one to attack on the boundary. That's where Drake London goes. So that's where I go back to as well. On the other side of the ball, let's talk about the backfield. Because David Montgomery now, most likely out this game, and we still think a couple weeks. And what we saw was Jameer Gibbs soak up nine targets, and now on the season has 11 of 13 of their backfield targets, 85%. That's the role he plays. But everyone wants to know, Paulson, how much does his carry share increase alongside Craig Reynolds? So where do you have them projected on the ground?
1: Yeah, I mean, Gibbs looked really good running the ball against the Chiefs, and then last week it wasn't so good against the Seahawks. So it, was, it wasn't like he's tearing it up as a runner when he has an opportunity. He's got 14 carries for 59 yards, which isn't bad. Uh, Craig Reynolds came in and had three for seven uh, in the last two weeks, so he's been kind of a spot guy. Uh, I, you know I think that they probably will probably stick with the the plan where uh, they limit Gibbs I think maybe Gibbs gets a few more carries and a few more series and and Reynolds is not playing as much as Montgomery was uh, but I think Reynolds has is a, a viable uh, spot start as well rb3 type because you, you're probably looking at 10 plus carries for him and maybe a catch or two uh, and against the Falcons and a high what should be a high scoring game I think he might find the end zone
0: I don't consider Reynolds a Wide receiver two, for example, over Michael Pittman. Like, we have enough questions about Ravens' defense without Marcus Williams and Marlon Humphrey to say the Ravens haven't been pushed yet since they had C.J. Stroud in his debut and Joe Burrow in that Beagles offense, the only offense in the league, averaging less than four yards per play. Like, we still think the Ravens' secondary is susceptible. So we don't want to put Reynolds on that wide receiver two par, using that as an example. But wide receiver three, flex option every single week? Absolutely especially with so many injuries happening. As you discussed, at least six targets in both games now, and he has Detroit's only end zone target. He's averaging 17.8 PPR points per game. So I am still confidently trying to shove Reynolds in everywhere, even though I don't value him in that tier. Finally, Jared Goff. Where do you have him ranked in this game, given that... We just don't know about the Falcons' defense just yet. Three touchdowns allowed to Jordan Love, and then week one played Bryce Young and the Panthers that are unwatchable.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm approaching this right now that St. Brown's going to play based on the practice report. So, you know, I think the, the offense will be at full strength without uh, David Montgomery, which might tilt him a little bit more towards the pass. Uh, Goff has 27 touchdowns in his last 10 home games. Uh, so I have him ranked ninth. I, I trust him more than a Deshaun Watson. Uh, I trust him more than Dak Prescott. I trust him more than just Justin Fields uh, at home uh, in this sort of spot. Uh, so, and I we talked about it last week. You know, heading into that uh, game against the Seahawks, like you know, is Goff was Goff's splits at home due to the the defenses he's facing, or is it because he's better at home? I think partially he's better at home, but we also have a kind of a questionable defense here with the Falcons. So I think we're we're pretty we're pretty safe that we can go roll roll Goff out there as a low end. Uh, QB1.
0: I still think uh those splits are kind of lazy, but and, hey. and and because Seattle I'm not calling you, just saying like everyone's use everyone's leaning on that crutch. Whenever like I think we've already debunked that. But at the same time, yes to your point. Seattle's defense has been one of the absolute worst in the league. That's a team that you can't attack on the boundary, and so far they've allowed the second most receptions on the boundary. Like they have been bad and Tariq Woolen got injured on Sunday. And again, we don't know about this Falcons defense just yet. So maybe we can continue leaning on uh, the lazy crutch. One more week, said. We could keep doing it here. So yes. yeah, man,
1: just, like when when is their first home matchup with a good defense? That'll be the interesting test, right? Listen, L- I'm, I'm
0: trying to make it one Sunday at a time right now. I'm not thinking ahead at all. Uh, some more questions we have are the Saints at the Packers. And let's start with the Saints offense because right now, Jamal Williams out for the foreseeable future and no Alvin Kamara for at least one more week. Even though if you have Kamara on your bench, you've hit the nuts because the red carpet has been rolled out for him from week four on with Williams now out of the way for the foreseeable future. At least in this game though, Paulson, what we saw was Taysom Hill out carry Tony Jones three to one until Jamal Williams got injured on Monday night. And then they literally had no other running back available. So they had to give, Tony Jones, eleven carries the rest of the way. Kendry Miller practicing in full; they're rookie and exposed to be active this game. So, how are you viewing Tony Jones and Kendry Miller for those that are desperate? So,
1: Ken, as far as I've heard, Kendry Miller is a full go, right? So, are they looking to limit him at all? Do they do they approach this like it's week one? He's fully healthy, ready to roll. And if he, you know, if Kamara was out and Jamal Williams were out you know and he's the number 3 running back theoretically coming out of camp you know they give him 10 15 carries they work in Taysom Hill uh, Taysom had 9 carries for 75 yards last week Tony Jones 12 for 34 and two touchdowns i mean that's 2.8 yards per carry so i'm viewing this as probably a Tony Jones Kendry Miller like split with Taysom Hill sprinkling in here and there, and then if if one or the other, and it's probably going to be Kendra Miller, gets going, then they probably will see some more uh, work in the second half, and you know starting to ride the hot hand. I don't think I mean I, I would not feel confident about starting Tony Jones, although you can be fairly assured that he's going to see eight to twelve touches. Uh, Kendra Miller is probably has a wider range of outcomes. You know, he could be anywhere from four or five touches to 15 if things. If, if he really starts to get rolling. Um, so I'm not like running out, trying to start either one of these guys. They, they're both, they're both, I mean, Jones and uh, Miller are both ranked in the forties. I have them as RB four or three, four types. So uh, just desperation flexes just because we don't know what the, roles are going to be now that Miller's back and uh, Jones is not, you know, that great.
0: And the way I play fantasy football, so this is personal. Maybe someone else can say, I don't like playing that way. That's okay. But like the way I play is that we kind of know who Tony Jones is. Thus, I take on that wider range of outcomes you mentioned with Kendry Miller and I play him instead, not as a confident option. But if I'm that desperate and again, in a lot of these leagues where I am just picking through. Everyone's going through injuries, and I say, I'm just plugging in a guy off the waiver wire. I don't care. I'm just trying to get an RB2 in my lineup. Miller uh, Miller's the way I go in a vacuum over Tony Jones. Miller scored a touchdown on every 13 carries in 2022 for that national championship TCU team. That does not look like a national championship team this year. And had at least one 20-yard carry, a long explosive run, and 12 of 14 games before his injury averaged a career 6.7 yards per carry with TCU. So just a player I was higher on coming in, and at least in this one game. I think he goes back to the bench with Kamara in week four. But at least in this one game, I don't mind starting him if I need to. I'm also high on Chris Olave, which is very obvious, I know, but when we talk about looking at splits and how players do better and better in other matchups – Uh, The Packers are another defense that are just kind of doing the same thing. The only defense in the league that have played zone coverage on 80% of their snaps in both games so far, and that was Chris Olave's calling card last year. He saw 60% of his targets against zone coverage in 2022, and he turned it into 15 yards per catch and the fifth most yards per route run of any wideout. So seems like another blow-up game for Chris Olave as well. Aaron Jones, though, moving on to the Packers injury report, did return to practice on Thursday. Christian Watson practiced on Wednesday downgraded Thursday. That's going to come down to a Friday decision. So let's assume Aaron Jones comes back off this hamstring injury. Where would you have him ranked?
1: Oh, that's I that, that, that news was new to me. The uh, Jones uh, practicing today and then uh, Christian Watson being downgraded. Um, so that, that sort of flips what I was expecting to see happen here, what I thought was I most likely going to happen this, this, Same this week. Same for me. So um, I would, you know, Jones, if he's, like, look, the, the Packers are one of the most injury conservative training staffs in the league. So when a player is actually active, I am fairly confident that they're fully healthy or as close to full health as the Packers training staff will allow. Uh, so I would have Jones fairly high this week, given the the landscape at running back. I mean, after, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, Kyron Williams at 11 and 12 and half PPR, you know, ranks, I have Swift, Moss, James Cook, Isaiah Pacheco, Brian Robinson. I mean, these are not super confident, fantastic players. Swift, I think we could have some confidence in, but it's a bad matchup against the Bucs. You know, I think Jones would probably be ranked as a mid-range to high-end RB2 based on his practice participation uh tomorrow and how he's listed if he's if he's a full go and not questionable but I have a feeling he'll be questionable and then play play through the hamstring injury they might limit him a bit because of the hamstring and you know they they feel like they have AJ Dillon and he can carry the load but and just kind of sprinkle in uh Jones in a maybe a 10 to 12 touch roll that makes it a little dicier uh because you know you'd like a full he's already a lower touch high efficiency guy and if you're you're cutting back. You might end up with a really bad game where he's got, you know, 10 carries for 50 yards and, you know, one catch for six yards or something like that.
0: And I continue to be high on Jaden Reed, who has now either led the team or tied for the team lead in target share in both games. Jordan Love, before we move on, because I think there are a lot of questions and I know you and I are going to disagree here. So I'm not trying to fight. I'm soft nowadays. I'm trying to be gentle early in the season. Uh, how do you view Jordan love because I think a lot of people probably have a question of Jordan Love or Jared Goff Jordan love or this like other guy in a bad situation
1: if you're talking rest of season uh, this week you know or this week yeah, I don't think Goff and love are close this week. I think Goff is you know his him playing at home with all his weapons is and he's more trustworthy at this point. I think this is just <laughs> I, as a Packer fan, I'm encouraged by uh, the first two games, Jordan Love, he is the fantasy QB two, I think, through two weeks of the six touchdowns. Uh, I know there's some uh, advanced metrics that are they're starting to question his accuracy. Uh, to me, just watching him, he's very poised, he's calm. Uh, that that I like. He doesn't look rattled at all. Uh, they they kind of gave away the game against Atlanta. I don't think it was his fault, although he had chances to sort of. Uh, make make it happen and take the win, uh, but they put him in a bad position. Some of the play calling was poor and and mm-hmm. whatnot. But uh, you know, I'm not sure where we're going to disagree. I'm you know I'm just in a wait and see mode. But I think through two games, I'm pretty encouraged. Uh, and he's made some really great throws. He's also missed some some throws. So we'll see. Um, I think this is a really good test this week against the Saints.
0: Long term, I think it's just about how much does an 11.6% touchdown rate crater. Uh, obviously, Patrick Mahomes led the league with 6.3% last year. So it's just a matter of how much this thing get dragged down. That's kind of what we're looking at long-term. But yeah, yes. I mean, that's,
1: that's certainly going to happen, but he's also playing without Christian Watson, who is a game-changer for this offense. Last week, he played without Aaron Jones, who's one of the best pass-catching running backs in the league. So he's kind of shorthanded as well. So I think, you know, the, the completion rate's low. It's 55% or something like that. I think that's going to come up but that touchdown rate is going to definitely drop. I mean, that's one sure thing in life is touchdown regression.
0: (laughs) QB2, as you mentioned this week, check out the rankings for four.com as you continue to update them. For the bills at the commanders, something else I might be springing on you is that James Cook was downgraded and did not practice on Thursday. And this then leaves everyone scrambling to ask, who is the option between Damian Harris and Latavius Murray?
1: Yeah, now I'm now I want to go pick up Latavius Murray in my in my leagues as we do, discuss this. Uh, no, he's been the Murray has been in I think before Damian Harris. He's got more touches I believe than Damian Harris. Pulling up the running back by committee report, he had the touchdown before uh, Damian Harris did last week. I guess they're they're pretty close through two weeks. They both have eight, eight carries. Damian Harris has 36 yards. Latavius Murray has 30. Uh snap percentage favors Latavius Murray. Uh targets favor Latavius Murray. So I think I would I would lean that way if if you're looking at one of these guys just to, to roll out there.
0: We've also seen Latavius Murray be used in the two-minute drill in week one. uh they have been splitting touches behind James Cook. Cook, of course, does not have a single carry inside the five-yard line, not just this year, before his career still to date. So that's the role they still have. But if you're asking like who has the most upside, it is probably Murray because they've at least had confidence to use him in that pass catching role. Although I do think the actual touch share in a game without Cook will be split for them. Also, no Dawson Knox for anyone listening at practice through Thursday, which likely means Dalton Kincaid being an every down tight end since they've literally mirrored each other in routes to date easy to know to play Kincaid if Knox is ultimately out on the other side of the ball though Paulson it's been tough with the commanders because the Eric the target tree is a lot like the Chiefs target tree Terry McLaurin 17% target share no Jahan Dotson 17% Terry McLaurin 14% we and honestly we just can't get anyone there consistently if these targets continue being dispersed to everyone Brian Robinson included
1: yeah Uh uh, it's it interesting note there because you're 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 bringing the enemy over from Kansas City and you have this spread out situation in terms of the targets and you'd really like to see this concentrated with McLaurin, Dotson, maybe uh Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas and and that's it. But we're getting some other targets. Diami Brown had some targets, uh, so I think these guys' uh ceilings are going to be a little bit capped. I think the nice thing is is that Sam Howell looks like he's fully capable of you know, running this offense and being a productive fantasy quarterback and being a productive real world quarterback. So that's, that's a good sign. But as you mentioned, I think the the targets are a little bit worrisome through two games to see uh, McLaurin and Dotson where they're at.
0: And for the commanders, we have to continue starting Brian Robinson. Now we have a 10 game sample without JD McKissick dating back to last year. And Robinson has averaged 19.8 touches and since Gibson fumbled in the first quarter in the second quarter of week one, Robinson has touched him 35 to five. Uh, we still have question about Buffalo defending running backs without Matt Milano too, since they've allowed six catches per game to both the inefficient Jets and Raiders backfield. so seems like Brian Robinson is actually becoming matchup proof at this point, uh, and hopefully he continues holding off Antonio Gibson four the charters at the Vikings. Let's start with the quote unquote big news, I guess. And that is the Rams sending a 2026 pick when the world will already be melted and nothing will matter to the Vikings in exchange for cam Akers to come over and play with nepotism under Kevin O'Connell saw two weeks of Alexander Madison said, okay, we're done with this. So long-term, How do you think this backfield fares? Because I think that's what everyone's asking is who do I have now and where do we view them? I
1: don't, you know, I don't think it's two weeks of Alexander Madison. We're done with this vibe. I think they saw an opportunity to make their running back room better. Maybe light some fire under Madison and give it, give themselves another option. Uh, Like, and I, you know, I am an Alexander Madison apologist. I, I, they have offensive line issues. They've had two bad matchups. He had the fumble. The First game he did fine. He was RB 18 for the week. I mean, it's not anything special, but he had a reception, reception touch, uh, touchdown uh, as well. So did okay. Um, this is the Chargers are not a great matchup uh, running the ball uh, as they were last year. So I'm a little concerned that we might see another sort of inefficient week from Madison. I don't think Akers comes, you know, jumps off the plane and handles the ball ten times possible i don't think that acres comes in and you know wins this job outright he looked bad week one uh as well against the the seahawks so um you know i'm giving this another week or two to see how it sort of shakes out i think what they want to do is have a uh you know an, a, and I, I wonder if this is more of a reflection on ty chandler who i know you were high on is in terms of the number one attrition ad or contingency ad um, but i mean this is i don't I don't think this the sky, sky is falling necessarily for Madison uh, managers. I think that you know they said all offseason that they like him as a three-down back. They came out and said he's still the starter. You know, Obviously, it's not a vote, vote of confidence for him, but at the same time, I don't think it, uh, the world's ending for him either. I think he still continues to see the lead back touches in this offense.
0: This backfield has one 10-yard touch, and it was Ty Chandler's 18-yard catch in week one. Like They just have nothing. And in terms of this game, at least, we know how they're going to play because both Tua... And Ryan Tannehill reached 21 fantasy points against this Chargers defense. And Tannehill did score a rushing touchdown, but he completed 83% of his passes on Sunday. The Chargers, as you mentioned, have become a pass funnel now. 25% of the passes they faced have gone for 15-plus yards. So why would the Vikings ever run the ball in this situation when they can have success through the air like everyone else so far? So, yeah, I think it's just another passing game for these two. Jordan Addison is basically getting the run out we thought where he has played behind KJ Osborne in both games, but because he's Jordan Addison and good at football, he scored a touchdown in both games. Where do you have him ranked? Because he's one of those annoying players where the usage isn't there, but also like he's good enough and getting enough usage to where he makes do on it. And like I don't know where to slot him in as like a wide receiver three or flex.
1: Yeah, I have him, I have him high relative to consensus. I have him at wide receiver twenty-nine. I just you can't, you can't, um, like, fault him for being so efficient in his role. Uh, this is a, and, and we also think that as the c- season wears on, he's going to play more and more. Uh, so that, you know, that could start happening as soon as this week. But this is also going to be a, a high scoring, pass friendly uh, game. So the chances of him, you know, finding the end zone for a third straight week are actually fairly high, I think. So I think you're looking at, you know, maybe Christian Kirk, I have him at 30. Maybe you move him ahead if Zay Jones is out, uh, but I, you know, I think I'd rather start Jordan Addison over Terry McLaurin due to the matchup against Buffalo and the, okay. I don't and the target, it. the target issues that that what Washington is experiencing. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, kind of, you know, high target, low efficiency guy right now. Drake London, we're not 100 percent sure about his role in the offense. I mean, I think I think Addison in the dome against the Chargers is a is a pretty solid wide receiver three start this week.
0: On the other side of the ball, also interesting because we know how the Vikings are going to play the Chargers. Brian Flores now, through two games, has played two total snaps of man coverage. Even last week, on Thursday night against the Eagles, he's kept the safeties high, and DeAndre Swift was punching them in the face for six yards per carry, and Flores didn't budge at all. He said, I'm still going to only play zone, keep the safeties back, and I'm going to blitz your face off, as the Vikings have been First and second in rate of their blitzes in the first two games. And we've seen Kellen Moore change his offenses now in back to back games as you don't have to eat a sock live for everyone. Of course, they had 40 carries in week one. They threw the ball 40 times, 70% pass play rate from neutral game script in week two. And so I think, Paulson, the pendulum comes back. Not to say like you're benching Keenan Allen or Mike Williams, you're both, you're obviously playing both players, but I think it's a game the pendulum comes back and we get Josh Kelly punching it into Vikings face this time.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, people were expecting Kelly to do a little bit better last week, but you know, the matchup was terrible. Uh, You just had to be sort of safe, you know, careful with, with when you're facing pass funnels and this is looking more like maybe a run funnel with the way that Deandre Swift ran on them. Rashad white didn't have much success in week one. Um, but, you know, 4.77 yards per carry allowed to opposing running backs. I think this is a Kelly bounce back game. If you have Kelly and Eckler is, looks like he's still out, right? So, you know, I think Kelly is a a solid RB2 this week.
0: I, I consider Kelly closer to Jerome Ford, if not ahead of him in this game, given the opposite spectrums of their matchups. That's how I view Kelly in week three.
1: I have him at 18. I have Kelly at 18. I have Ford at 24. So I I think in essence, we agree. Maybe I'm a little high on Kelly relative to you.
0: For the Panthers and Seahawks, the big news is Bryce Young, who say what you want. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's Bryce Young. Who knows? But that Panthers offense, 31st in yards per play, zero juice at any position, it should be a good matchup given that the Seahawks defense just can't stop anyone. But at the same time, even with Andy Dalton most likely under center in this game, I just don't know where I would even play anyone. Hayden Hurst, I guess. But other than that, like Paulson, what are you doing with this Panthers offense from Dalton?
1: Uh, it's not great. Um, you know, Seattle is a good matchup. I think Miles Sanders has some appeal as a 15 15- 17 touch type back uh hayden Hurst certainly i mean seattle's been bad against the tight end position he could be okay um yeah i mean you just you look at cj stroud versus bryce young and you know just what a couple of weapons will do for you uh you know with nico collins tank dell uh just compare it comparing that to adam Thielen jonathan mingo uh i don't know it just it's just two different scenarios right now and i think stroud's probably a little bit better of a passer as well so um yeah I mean this Carolina offense it's really tough to get behind anything I mean how often are they going to be in red zone how many touchdowns are are they going to score this year it's really it's really tough to see a lot of upside here
0: you are continuing to start Miles Sanders as a low-end RB2 if you have him um but it's one of those players again that we don't have any confidence in especially because he's still at least getting uh He's seen four, at least four targets in both games. So you're starting him if you have him. On the other side of the ball, though, at least it's more concentrated because Charbonnet got a few more touches for Seattle's backfield in week two, but Walker still handled 72% of their backfield touches in back-to-back games now. And his share of running back carries actually increased from the season opener to week two. Also, the Panthers no JC Horn for the foreseeable future and just lost Shaq Thompson for the rest of the year. So the Panthers are also a defense that we just have all the confidence in the world with our offenses against.
1: Yeah. uh, From our defensive knowledge seeker report against the running back position there, you know, and this is Tony, this is including Tony Jones and Jamal Williams, but they've given up four rushing touchdowns in two games to opposing running backs, averaging 97 yards uh, per backfield. Uh, per game and 4.2 yards per carry. So uh, this is a good one to attack. And that's why Walker is ranked as like a mid-range RB one
0: this week. Chiefs hosting the disastrous bears. And let's start on the Chiefs side because no Kadarius Tony through practice as of Thursday. And everyone wants to know where do we pivot to? And I don't think you pivot anywhere. I think you just hold your ground and say Patrick Mahomes from Travis Kelsey because, like, what the hell is this target tree? Sky Moore, seven targets through two games. Isaiah Pacheco, just one fewer target, with six. Justin Watson, more targets than any receiver outside of Kadarius Toney, with nine. Rasheed Rice, even, after he was their best receiver in week one, he got scaled back to only seven routes in week two. They actually took away his role. So you just don't do anything, in my opinion.
1: The only thing you could do is that you know Moore had the touchdown last week. He's he's getting the snaps. If if Tony's out, you can tell yourself a story and you know slot him into your flex if you're really de- desperate because you know it's the Chiefs and somebody's gonna catch a touchdown. Uh, but I think that might you know be the only thing that will clear up this this target tree is a couple of injuries so that they're not playing you know seven receivers consistently on a weekly basis, you know, maybe if a couple are injured, we can get it down to four or five and actually have a chance to maybe hit on somebody as a dart throw. Um the one guy that is, you know, kind of appealing to me is, is Sky Moore. But you know, with Kelsey back, it's just going to be such a tight end, you know, centric offense. You know, looking at Sky Moore, how he didn't do anything in 80 something percent of the snaps with Kelsey out in week one, and then turning around and having at least having a game. A fantasy game uh, makes me feel like he's the one guy I would take a shot on. Uh, Watson probably, just from a process standpoint, due to all the snaps and targets he's seeing relative to everyone else, is maybe the next best play. But it, it, you know, it's tough. It's tough out there, and then KC wide receiver land.
0: I don't even disagree. It's just so so ugly. Um, and Patrick and Patrick Mahomes now get this matchup where. Both Jordan Love and Baker Mayfield average over nine yards per attempt. Chicago lost their D.C. Allen Williams as well. So we think it's an amazing matchup, also just because he's Patrick Mahomes, but at the same time, just no one confidently outside of Kelsey to play with him. On the other side of the ball, how are you viewing Justin Fields? Because we are still just the carries away, which is his natural playing style. We're that away from him hitting his ceiling. Like, I had people asking me in my waivers chat about trading Justin Fields, and I said no because this same coaching staff saw what happened when they tried to make him a passer and then changed their tune, and that's how he became a top-five quarterback in his last seven starts. That same thing is happening because we're getting 33 pass attempts per game after last year's 22 pass attempts. We are getting the volume through the air. He just has to sprinkle in the carries. And if he's naturally that kind of player, I imagine they will come but do you foresee them coming in this matchup
1: this is justin fields is really a tough situation because he he's he's quarterback 21 through two weeks he's scored 14.5 14.7 in the two weeks we know he has like immense upside if he just takes off and runs so some of the, if if some of these pass attempts are that he's i don't know if he's overthinking or he's being tell, told you have to throw the ball if some of these, after his diatribe to the press, if he says he's decided, I'm going to start playing my way and just going off script, then that would be really good for his fantasy floor. Uh, I think this is a tough spot against Kansas City, whose defense has been pretty good. They'd limited uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence last week pretty well. Uh, Goff had a pretty good game in week one. But, you know, the, the Chiefs might put uh, the the Bears in a tough spot where they're throwing dropping back every time and th- th- they have ways to sort of limit his rushing that would make things very difficult for for Justin Fields if he's you know broadcasting that he's going to run the ball more and the Chiefs are prepared for it uh, if the Chiefs are preparing for what we've seen so far from Fields which is a lot more uh, passing and a lot less rushing then they, he might be able to sneak up on them but the fact that he went out and said I'm going to start playing the way I know how uh, I think you know gives tips off the KC defense. So that that's worrisome to me. I don't have him as high as everybody else does this week. I have him around QB 13, QB 12. Um, he could definitely have a QB one overall week. If he gets it going and they have to throw a ton, he gets 80 yards or and a couple touchdowns or something like that. But he's also somebody that uh, hasn't played well so far. The team is a mess right now. The franchise seems like it's a mess. And you know, how well do they come out and play? How many, even offensive points do they even score in this game.
0: Also encouraging sign for the Bears' backfield as a whole that they started healthy scratching Deontay Foreman because now it's a two-headed committee, no longer three. And because of that, both Khalil Herbert, whose touch share increased from 40% to 57% in Week 2, also Roshan Johnson, two-headed committee, Touch share increased from 37% to 43%. So short-term, Herbert still leading the team in touches. You can definitely use him. Uh, I know we may disagree on this. I still think Roshan Johnson is the player to roster as the long-term bet. But either way, great news for both of them since it is only between two players now.
1: I think you know this game is not one that's likely to be competitive for all that long. We'll see. I mean, sometimes you know the Chiefs surprise us with a slow start, but this is one where Roshan. I think I would start Roshan Johnson over Khalil Herbert due to his role in the passing game. And Ro- uh, he, yeah, go ahead.
0: Roshan or Elijah Mitchell.
1: I would still go Roshan.
0: Interesting. Okay. I think that's on. I think due that's to on the far. reception,
1: due to the receptions, because I think you know, the passing game is more important and we're still sort of betting on what might happen with Elijah Mitchell.
0: And Roshan, 13.3% target share through two games. For the Cowboys at the Cardinals, it's just tough because we still need volume for everyone to get there. And we just haven't seen the Cowboys in a competitive game. They've outscored their opponents 70 to 10 through two weeks. Michael Parsons is just crab walking after every single pressure. Demarcus Lawrence is doing his thing against single blocking. Like they're just destroying teams right now and the Cardinals won't put up a fight either. So although I'm bullish on Jake Ferguson long-term, Jake Ferguson, who again, we haven't even seen the run out for, but still leads every tight end in red zone targets with seven. It seems like another game to where I can't play Ferguson confidently because I don't think they're going to be needed through the air. I think
1: there's two players you can start confidently as Pollard and Ceedee Lamb oh, yeah. for the for the Cowboys, and then after that, it's like, well, uh, here are my tight end options. Uh, Ferguson is a you know high end tight end two, low end tight end one. We've seen the usage. Uh, he's not playing monster snaps, but he's been seeing consistent, pretty consistent targets, and uh, he's got a good, pretty good quarterback throwing to him. Dak Prescott. This is a game where you could see him throwing three touch t- three touchdowns, but you could also see him not throwing any, not needing to throw any. Uh, the defensive, you know, the defense scores a couple touchdowns. They get a couple touchdowns rushing. Uh, next thing you know, he's in just handoff mode and is getting pulled from the game. Uh, <laughs> so, not a confident start there either. And then you know, wide receiver two, wide receiver three for the Cowboys. I mean, with with Brandon Cooks likely out. Still, uh, you know, Gallup didn't do anything last week. Uh, there's just nothing there on that, you know, that front that is appealing either. So it's really Lamb, Pollard, you know, it's maybe Ferguson, maybe, maybe Dak Prescott.
0: Pollard with literally double the next closest player and carries inside the 10-yard line. Just the absolute monster season coming out to go along with his 11 targets, 21.5% target share in week two. Uh, definitely a top two running back, in my opinion, moving forward in the rest of season. We'll be right there next to Christian McCaffrey, especially if McCaffrey is scaled back a little bit. We will see that on Thursday night. On the other side of the ball, James Conner still getting there on these touches every single week because they have no one else to use. Only Keontae Ingram and Amari DiMarcado playing behind him. So where do you have James Conner ranked in this nightmare spot?
1: Yeah, you said nightmare spot because the Cowboys defense is really good. Uh, they're giving up 3.56 yards per carry to opposing running backs. Saquon had, uh, I mean, they've only had an average of 12 running back, 12.5 running back carries against them, four running back receptions against them. So 16.5 total touches. Uh, doesn't leave a lot of room for Keontae Ingram to have a role or two, you know, a, a touch or two. Uh, Connor just. We, you know not a lot of confidence that even with you know 17 18 touches that he's going to do real well so i have him as ranked as a high-end uh, rb3 low-end rb2 like around 25. so that you know the nice thing is that he does have the touches i've seen some mixed i don't know how you feel about the cardinals offensive line i've seen some mixed uh, analytics on it uh, one you know adjusted line yards is really low on them yards before contact per attempt is very high Uh, those are kind of disputing metrics. So I don't know how well they're really blocking, but he's, I mean, Connor's doing well. um, But, you know, how often are they really able to just run this ball in this game if they're, you know, I mean, I'm assuming they're going to be down 14 nothing. But I guess I, you know, the Cardinals, we we thought that they were going to lose to the Giants and be, you know, out of that game early. We thought that they were going to lose to the Commanders and be out of that game early. And they keep hanging around. So maybe maybe they can, uh, you know, feed him the ball 15, 17 times or more and stay in this game.
0: Either way, it's him running all the routes and getting all the touches. So that's why you just kind of keep going back to him regardless of game script, because he'll still get dump offs underneath with a route on over 80% of dropbacks through two weeks. Also, for 14 team leagues, I mentioned in the waiver wire column, but since we're here Thursday, I don't mind adding Jalen Tolbert if you're desperate. We don't know the extent of Brandon Cook's knee injury, but we do know he's 30 already dealing with a knee injury of September. And it was Tolbert again because these splits are all skewed given the Cowboys are just drowning their opponents. But Tolbert actually uh, was second on the team for routes run in the first half and saw all four of his targets in the first half, scaled back after that with the rest of their starters through the air. So I think Tolbert, who was actually one of the better wide receivers in the entire league, third-round draft capital from last year, although it didn't click for him as a rookie, I do think he's kind of a sneaky pickup for deeper leagues if this injury can lingers for Brandon Cooks. Moving on to Sunday Night Football, the Steelers at the Raiders. What are you doing with Najee Harris? Because now we've seen through two games from Kenny Pickett Everyone practically struggling, except George Pickens, who caught one deep touchdown to get there. But Najee Harris, 49% of backfield touches. Jalen Warren, 48%. Mike Tomlin comes out after the game and also mentions just being the natural development of Jalen Warren and even said himself that a player gets better with more reps. And not surprising, Jalen Warren has gotten better and thus has earned more reps.
1: I think Najee harris is kind of a sneaky start this week i think jalen warren is as well this is just a really good matchup against the the raiders they've they've yielded 25.5 rush attempts on average 135 yards rushing on average uh 8.5 receptions on average to backfields and 43 receiving yards on average so there's like nearly two i mean 180 uh yards Available perhaps for uh, the the Steelers backs in, in this one, so I think both players are viable. I think you know we're still seeing Najee uh, as the lead back. He's got 16 carries to Jalen Warren's nine. Now it's it's flipped in the in the passing game. Uh, five targets for for Najee through two games. 12 targets for Jalen Warren. Uh, he's got nine catches for 78 yards on the year. So I think both players in their own ways, are going to to have decent games in this
0: one. Where do you have Pickens ranked without Deontay Johnson now, as we know, until week seven?
1: I have a wide receiver 22 right now, just behind Mike Evans and Tyler Lockett. Uh, you know, we, it was nice to get the one uh, big, strong game here. Uh, it is a good matchup against Vegas, so you could argue for him to be a little bit higher. I do have, like, Michael Pittman ahead of him at 18. Uh, D.K. Micalf at 19, but I'm not sure I would start him over those players. I think maybe you could argue uh, Pittman, maybe you could argue him a few spots higher, um, especially given the way he played uh, last week. But, you know, I'm expecting a little bit more Pat Friermuth, uh, maybe spread the brown, uh, ball around a little bit more against uh, the Raiders.
0: For the Raiders side of the ball, it is concentrated, and Josh Jacobs has been miserable on the ground. But at least he's still getting the pass-catching work, even last week. Five catches, 51 yards, and that's pretty much the only thing keeping him around right now. And I worry about this game against Steelers front seven. But, in being the only running back, getting only touch, only touch, the only amount of touches there, you keep starting him, whatever. Through the air, it's interesting, because we saw in week one, before Jacoby Myers, we expect to be back this game, have concussion. He led Devontae Adams with... 10 targets to Adams nine and had their only targets inside the 10 yard line for two touchdowns. So if Jacoby Myers is back, we do think he kind of comes back as a wide receiver two or three.
1: Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't think we'd ever get to a point where we're starting uh, Jacoby Myers over Devonte Adams, but certainly week one uh, indicated that he and Jimmy Garoppolo have a good rapport. And that was, that was a huge game for him. Uh, you know, I think if, if Myers is a full go, I've got him at 37 right now. I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure he's back, but it sounds like he will be. Uh, probably bumps up and help up a few spots. And maybe Devontae Adams falls for maybe three to five or six as just a guy who might not see the huge target share that he you know would see with Myers sidelined.
0: Monday night football, game one, because again, the NFL doesn't enjoy our personal lives, is a fun one because the Bucks are frisky in this game. The Eagles defense, which has quietly become a pass funnel has now pushed both Mac Jones and Kirk Cousins into 49 pass attempts over the last two games. And both those players finished as the QB2 in weeks one and two in fantasy because the Eagles are forcing volume through the air. And if that's the case, and it happens with the Bucs again, then we also know Baker Mayfield has seen at least seven carries, seven scrambles in both of his games as a high rushing floor quarterback expected to get volume through the air. So... I think there actually could be some fireworks here in this game, Paulson.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, Baker Mayfield, I was looking at uh, his ranking today at 23. I think consensus is three or four spots lower than that, uh, just with the assumption that Philadelphia's defense is very good, which they are, but they do give up passing yards. They don't give up a whole lot of rushing yards. Would you start him over Kenny Pickett or Matthew Stafford this week?
0: Oh, buddy, uh, go higher. Like, uh, yeah. I, I'd, I'd start – I. I'd start, I'd start Baker over uh, Jordan Love and Derek Carr, yeah. Uh, Russell Wilson? No, and that might be a mistake because Russell Wilson, for as much as I talk about Jordan Love, Russell Wilson's touchdown rate is also over 11. I just like his environment with a 40.5 point total, but I think that's on par, again, because the rushing floor, the quiet one from Baker, I think that's on par where I have him ranked.
1: Yeah, he's, he's got a good thing going with Mike Evans. He hasn't caught fire yet with Chris Godwin, but obviously Godwin's a great receiver. Uh, and they're going to have to throw to to try to stay in this one as well, I think.
0: I'll call my shot and say it's Chris Godwin over Mike Evans week. How about that? All right.
1: Uh, well, it'd be nice to see it because I've been starting them and just getting my 10 <laughs> points from them, and that's about it.
0: So they've basically formed their own little poor man's target tree like the dolphins have with Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. It's it's all going to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. 25%, no, 23% and 21% of their targets. But this matchup in particular sets up better for Godwin because the Eagle, because so, he scored 27 fewer fantasy points than Evans, despite tying Evans in both red zone and end zone targets. And now we know Eagle slot cornerback, Avante Maddox, out for the season. And that's important because the Eagles have already seen the second most targets to opposing slot receivers against them for 126 receiving yards per game. So I will call my shot and say I love Chris Godwin this week. Um, on the other side of the ball, though, if we're, if we're talking about players we have faith in. No one's benching A.J. Brown anyways. But it does make sense that A.J. Brown bounces back immensely in this contest. Um, He's scored 19 fewer fantasy points than Devonta Smith, but still has 29% target share to Smith's 27%, and still has a depth of target A.J. Brown does over 14 yards. And so when you talk about like, oh, just the revenge of the bounce-back teammates, A.J. Brown, Chris Godwin, it seems like a great run out for those two.
1: Yeah, and, and this is uh, – the Bucks have been tough to to run on. Alexander Madison had 34 yards rushing against him. Uh, Roshan Johnson had a good – had a four for 32. But – and Khalil Herbert was seven for 35. So I guess the, the Bears did get rushing on him a little bit. But they only attempted 11 you know, carries between the two of them. Uh, so it's, they're kind of a pass funnel, the Bucks, And I think that lends itself to a, a bounce-back game for A.J. Brown. We saw on the sideline he was talking with uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, very nicely and respectfully about his target share what's going on. Uh, so I think he does have a good one. I think Devante Smith is just a really good receiver as well. So they both should do well. And maybe we get a, a you know, a better game out of uh, Dallas Goddard as well. Uh, he had six catches, but for only 22 yards last week after goose egg in week one,
0: if Kenneth gain will work to play, where do you have him and Deandre Swift ranked?
1: Yeah, that's really tough. I mean, this, Eagles uh backfield is has been a committee for, for for quite a while. Uh last year we did see Miles Sanders in a fairly lead back role, 200 plus 250 plus carries, I believe. Uh or maybe it was touches. Uh but DeAndre Swift played so well last week, looked so electric that you would think that he at of at the very least has like a 50/50 share of this backfield uh in week 3. Uh I would think. But You know they did come out of camp they with Gainwell as the RB one without really announcing it, and then week one he dominated touches, and I suppose it's you know one of these questions is you know whether or not Nick Sirianni believes that a player can lose his job you know due to injury, Uh, or if he you know gets a chance to win it back when he comes back from that injury, but I think most likely we probably see some sort of 60-40 split. I don't think Rashad Penny will be active if if Gainwell is active. Boston Scott might get a few touches, but he's, I think, dinged up as well. Um, But I think you're looking at probably 55-45, maybe leading leading with Swift. If Gainwell is active, it might be more than that, though it might be 60-40. What are your thoughts?
0: I do not have confidence in starting Gainwell this week, even if he's healthy, but obviously that, 82% of backfield touches in week one stays in the back of my mind. Also because we already mentioned, the game plan after a couple drives was noticeable for the Eagles. Even they said, we know how to beat you now since you're not changing your scheme um, and we'll just run against you. So that's why DeAndre Swift got all the carries. I don't think he got the carries because they believed in him. Um, And so I do think he though, he did well enough to where it's probably a timeshare moving forward. The issue is that Kenneth Gainwell also has never been in his career it's early but a 250 touch guy like i think that's also why he got that immense workload and then got injured in week one because he's not a workhorse he's not built to be that at his size and so what does it matter then what if it is just a committee so yeah uh i got a i'm a little bit higher on both of them uh but the fact they had confidence in game will that means we can't go away because they've already shown they wanted to use him as a workhorse
1: yeah and you know swift's not built to be workhorse either i mean for him to get 30 30- touches is not sustainable given his injury history i mean i guess it could work out but it's not like he's this mr durability either so i mean i think what you know the, their best bet i think they understand this going forward is that they work everybody in and it's not like we're gonna have a bell cow back but week one that's what they had you know, it was kenneth gainwell so it's hard to just sort of push that out of your mind
0: and finally rams at the Bengals. And for the Rams, at least, everyone knows where the ball is going now. Nakua, 39.5% target share. Tutu Atwell, seven tar- 17 targets, eight which have come in motion because they have targets purposely schemed for him. Kyron Williams running around on 80% of dropbacks. The ball is honed in. Uh, Tyler Higby, as I mentioned, I believe is droppable given the options that are still out there. I want players running more routes and getting more targets. And unlike last year, There are players earning targets over Higby this season for the Rams. For the Bengals, though, how would you shift Joe Burrow and T. Higgins, if at all, if it's Jake Browning under center? Jake Browning, which is an egregious by the organization, literally arguably the worst quarterback in the preseason, and they didn't care at all. They did nothing to go out and better their situation. I can't believe it.
1: I mean, the Bengals are favored by three, so if if it's not Burrow, I'm sure that line – changes um and i just rerun the numbers the under over under is going to drop and uh, you know chase and higgins are both going to drop in the rankings i mean chase is always ranked as a wide receiver one higgins usually is a wide receiver two uh they'll both probably drop uh five or ten spots uh if if those stats drop as much as i think they probably will with with browning at, at quarterback i mean it's it's bad. I mean, I don't know what their plan is with, with Burrow. I know he tweaked his with his calf. Um, if they really do sit him, uh, you know, you feel maybe – I don't think you feel any better about Mixon. Maybe they try to run the ball a little bit more, but you can't feel any better about this passing game.
0: Not I'm sure. not personally playing Burrow, even if he starts. I'm getting C.J. Stroud. Russell Wilson or Baker Mayfield on waiver wires, and I'm just going that direction. Um, you can't have any amount of faith, and maybe he outscores them, but you can't have any amount of faith in a reaggravation. I, I just don't trust the situation at all.
1: Calf, calf injuries are tricky too. Um, they, they take a while to recover, um, and the Bengals are they're zero two now, right? So like, season might be on life support. And if, you can't go three.
0: And you can't look so, at those touchdowns last week because. Again, he re-aggravated at the end. So what happened last week doesn't even matter. That could have been him getting better, and all of a sudden, he's gotten worse. So that's the only offense in the league, averaging less than four yards per play. They've literally, by all accounts, been the worst offense in the league. Like, how can you have any amount of faith that Burrow even goes? So I'm just playing it safer, and I'm going to these other quarterbacks who are available with better matchups. With that, an hour 22. A lot better, Paulson, than two hours.
1: Did we have any questions to answer real quick? Did you have one you want to answer? No. Okay. Uh,
0: we've, been, we've been answering them throughout the show and everywhere else. So with that, Paulson, tell everyone what else you have coming out the rest of the week?
1: I'm just trying to stay on top of these uh, projections with all these changes at, at running back. Um, Sneaky Starts was uh, out last uh, yesterday, and uh, you know, I'll be doing a Discord chat at 2 p.m. today Pacific. Uh, I guess it's 5 p.m. on the, on the East Coast. And uh, got another uh, super chat with Addison at 9 a.m. Pacific on Friday. If you have some questions you want to ask, uh, we will be uh, there for an hour or so uh, answering those.
0: DFS show, 6 p.m. Eastern Friday. Myself, TJ Hernandez, and Pat karain as like this show, we were on top of Christian Kirk, Gabriel Davis, Travis Etienne, others last week. Uh, we will go back into the streets and discuss all these players everyone wants to play in DFS slates on Friday. Until then, you know, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next time.